Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Learn to Retire Safe with the Retire Safe Interns. I am your host, Kevin Sanders, a public policy intern here at Retire Safe. Hi, everyone. I'm Lila. I'm the communications intern at Retire Safe. Hi, everyone. My name is Maria Pacheco, and I'm also a public policy intern here in Retire Safe. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Um, I'm Catherine, and I'm also a public policy intern at Retire Safe. Well, glad we have everyone here. Um, this week for you all, we have a fun little episode I like to call Legislation in Progress. We're going to go over a couple of bills that are currently being sponsored in both the House and Senate related to drug importation, Medicare, Medicaid, and telehealth. So today we're going to start off with uh, a bill that Marie is going to talk about uh, in the drug importation. Yeah, so um, this bill will allow negotiation of prices for certain covered Medicare Part D drugs, will allow for importation by individuals of prescription drugs from Canada, preserve access to affordable generic and biosimilars, to increase the use of real-time benefits tools to lower beneficiary costs, and establish um, a manufacturer discount program for other purposes. Some of the sections of these bills are negotiation of price for Senate cover for D drugs following period of, ex of exclusivity, drug importation from Canada, um, preserving access through FTC actions, preserving access to affordable generic and biosimilars, increasing the use of real-time benefit tools to lower beneficiary costs, Medicare for D modern modernization redesign, Manufacturer Discount Program, and this bill is sponsored by Senator McSally. All right. So, I mean, honestly, it just sounds mostly like, you know, this is just going to allow more generic drugs from Canada, like, or cheaper drugs from Canada to be brought over to the U.S. I mean, I don't, like, I don't, I don't see us, like, doing that a lot. You know, with a bunch of different yeah. countries, drug importation is something that I know has been talked about a lot, mm -hmm. and obviously we talk about it here at Retire Safe. But it's like the one issue it's like it's going to come down to is how they regulate it. Mm -hmm. I was just going to mention that the the I, the concern that it could like people can have is you know how do we know this. Um, drugs are actually good and they are like the quality is like the same as the drugs we're getting here here in the u.s yes it's cheaper but like how good they are you know yeah. that and i would also be interested to see if this means all drugs or if there's specific drugs that aren't included in this potential bill um yeah. for example like insulin it's very very expensive in the u.s like yeah would that be offered from canada or are there some very expensive drugs that wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to be imported mm -hmm. yes i was gonna mention insulin too because it's the the difference between the like the price in the u.s and other countries is really really big and yeah i wonder the same thing catherine that's a really good point. Thank I you. Say, I 
think from what I saw on the bill, it's like they're gonna like make it specific Medicare Part D drugs or drugs that typically are covered through Medicare Part D. So, I mean, I guess we'll see if that gets expanded upon later and what exactly is covered in that because that's pretty vague language, but yeah. Um, next up, we have some, uh, some of the changes that occurred in the American Rescue Plan which was um, President Biden's kind of big stimulus for the country. Uh, it had a bunch of different changes, not just for Medicare, but also for uh, economics and stuff. But we care about the Medicare stuff here and Medicaid. So, uh, Lila, go ahead. Yeah, so the American Rescue Plan, which was sponsored by Representative John Yarmuth, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, um, so here's what happened. On March 10th, 2021, Congress finalized and passed the American Rescue Plan of 2021, of course. The latest COVID-19 relief package that largely tracked President Biden's initial $1.9 trillion proposal. So this rescue plan extends unemployment insurance benefits and provides direct $1,400 stimulus payments to qualifying Americans. But it also makes several important health policy related changes. These changes include providing funding for the vaccine distribution and testing to combat the COVID-19 pandemic, making policy adjustments to the Medicaid program, facilitating health insurance coverage and providing more money for healthcare providers. The final bill also makes two narrowly focused technical Medicare payment changes. In developing and finalizing the bill, Democrats used the budget reconciliation process to pass the bill with only Democratic support. This process limited what could be included. The version that was signed into law ultimately removed a provision to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 per hour because it, because it failed to meet reconciliation rules. But one of the biggest takeaways from this bill is that it allows the COVID vaccine to be accessed by all people, regardless of health insurance coverage or not. So like the American Rescue Plan is basically one of the big reasons that, you know, we can all get the vaccine regardless of our, of our coverage right now. <laughs> so, I mean, without like trying to be too opinionated on it, I do think that it did some good things. But uh, I think that this this bill also like could have done kind of more, but you know, just just in the just in the realm of making sure that people without coverage are kind of taken care of. And this is like this part of the bill I think does like span for a year. So like you know if you're without coverage, I believe you can get the vaccine for like up to a year from when they passed it. But, Wait, so you're saying like possibly after a year, people will start having to pay for the vaccine if they didn't get it during this year? I don't know about, yeah, probably. Um, like I said, congressional language can be very vague and kind of redundant in some ways. So from what I understood, that's what they were saying was that these changes in coverage, quote unquote, were to last up to a year from the passage date so i would assume that people without coverage or people with coverage that doesn't typically allow for vaccination might um 
if there if there is such coverage i'm pretty sure there is but uh yeah after a year those people might have to pay or their insurance might be billed and they like you know might be a deductible or something so along those lines right it, if it's free right now i'm surprised that like when we get the vaccine we have to provide our insurance card yeah i was gonna say a lot of people um and we've covered this in a previous episode you know a lot of people are kind of scared to get the vaccine so it's just like it it's like people that like you know don't get the vaccine now might be at a disadvantage later on or if like we need the vaccine to like annually like we need the flu vaccine oh yeah i think that'll be kind of interesting but yeah um next up we have a telehealth policy update from Catherine. yeah so recently introduced to congress is the telehealth modernization act um and it's sponsored by senator tim scott which little thing kevin mentioned that this is one of his senators from his state um (laughs) and specifically this bill extends certain flexibilities that were initially authorized during the um, public health emergency of covid19 among other things this bill will allow rural health clinics and federally qualified health centers to serve as the location of healthcare practitioner in telehealth um, rules and regulations. Second, the home of a beneficiary can serve as the location of the beneficiary um, rather than another location for all services instead of just only certain services as it was previously and three all types of practitioners would be able to furnish telehealth services um, as determined by the centers for medicare and medicaid services and i guess i believe like this bill is certainly helpful and i'm thinking back to yesterday when we attended the national granges fly-in and there were numerous rep- state and national representatives talking about connecting to rural individuals and giving them wi-fi and data and connecting them to the internet first and i think that that's the biggest priority because you can't access telehealth without Wi-Fi and data and all of these things. So while beneficial, I think the data and connectivity needs to happen first. 100% agree. I mean, uh, the new infrastructure bill that was just passed like includes uh, like in expanded like internet access basically so areas where wi-fi is not up to uh, i guess you could say a certain standard or where at wi-fi is absent uh completely those areas will hopefully begin to get connected like slowly through the infrastructure bill but again like i i think like telehealth being 
kind of uh, we at retire safe kind of believe you know telehealth is basically kind of like the future of health services and so it's just like the the more we can expand this i think the better like we're we're like a long way from uh you being able to get like all the care you need from your home of course like no telling what we need to do for that but uh, just to help people who are having a difficult time getting to the doctor or for like minor things like um in the same vein uh we there is also the protecting access to post covid 19 telehealth act of 2021 which does a lot of the same thing this was sponsored by representative mike thompson uh but it also would authorize the secretary of health and human services to waive or modify uh, the application of medicare requirements with respect to telehealth services during any emergency period so if another covid 19 situation happened uh the secretary of health and human services would basically be authorized to put in place all the current emergency telehealth uh, emergency telehealth uh, plans and rules and basically just be able to like cut down the restrictions on how telehealth is done at least for the period of the emergency so that way it would result in a smoother transition from in-person you know care to telehealth care in the chance where we can't meet in person uh, for a while well and i think what's really important about this bill is that it's any emergency period so it doesn't necessarily have to be another national health crisis it could be any number of things that trigger this allowance of the Secretary of Health and Human Services, but I feel like it's a good fail safe to have. Yeah, I like I was saying, I think it'll certainly cut down on like, you know, the the kind of confusion that like happened for a little while in the lead up to well, COVID-19 being the pandemic that it is or like wasn't is. And so it's just like now, while, while I know it can sound scary to some, like with the wave of like a pen, you know, the Secretary of Health and Human Services can make sure that we all get telehealth, you know, care uh, if the need arises uh, without having to wait like, you know, maybe a month or two or maybe some people get left out on like in the cold on it and while other people are cared for. So, yeah. There's also the ensuring telehealth expansion, which would also make permanent a couple of features of telehealth that are currently in place. So within the same like kind of realm as the protecting access to post COVID-19 um, act, but more in a way where just like you wouldn't have to uh, modify application of the requirements because they would already be in place. And there's also the KEEP, in all caps, uh, Telehealth Options Act. Uh, Catherine, would you mind going over that? Sure. So essentially, this act would direct the Secretary of Health and Human Services, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, and the Medicaid and CHIP 
payment and access commission to conduct studies and report to Congress on actions taken to expand access to telehealth services under the Medicare, Medicaid, and CHIP programs during the COVID-19 emergency. Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of want to get y'all's thoughts because I know, I especially know you, Catherine, uh, you've had like a small little problem with telehealth services while you've been in Washington. Um, Yeah, like I'm happy to tell that quick little story. So I was reaching out to my dermatologist because I wanted to refill my prescription and I'm in Washington DC for the semester. My home state is Massachusetts. And so very quickly, I make the calendar through my chart. Seems like it's all good. An hour before my appointment, I get a call and they say like, hi, due to telehealth restrictions currently, we cannot have a call with you if you're out of state, you have to be in the state. And I was like, well, I can't be in the state until at least like May 8th. (laughs) And so there was a small little workaround that we were able to figure out. Um, But it was just a very frustrating distinction of the current legislation that that was not allowed. Yeah, and I mean, so yeah, the Telehealth Modernization Act would basically do away with that restriction. So, you know, like, if that had been implemented when you needed, you know, your dermatologist, you would have had no problems, basically. Exactly. It's kind of strange how that works, too. It's just like, um, you know, your doctor is still your doctor, even if you're out of state. But uh, I think it's like mostly due to different states having different rules, like on how care is done, possibly. Mm. So uh, I, I think that the Telehealth Modernization Act Will help a lot of people that are in that type of situation i don't know how many people are getting like uh, doctor's appointments while they're out of town but you never know it could happen to you yeah. lila maria have y'all had like any situations where telehealth has like either not worked or worked for you um no i only have one telehealth experience and that was like last year and it went pretty smoothly so I don't have any bad experience with telehealth or a lot of experience to like make a bad experience, if that makes any sense. Okay, okay. What about you, Maria? Have you had like any positive or negative telehealth experiences? I actually had a positive um, experience with telehealth because I, like this This was the first time I went to a doctor and um, so she like, I, I went the first time because I had to like look work, work and all that, but then um, everything else was like on telehealth, and it was really good just because like my I, I was able to see my results at the same time as my doctor, so I didn't have to wait like too long. It was really really fast, and I, I honestly have I have had a really good experience with telehealth and my chart. No complaints. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, I I understand that. Like I have uh, my one story that I have, and you know of course. When we say telehealth, that also includes my chart and stuff like apps that these health systems use, because those definitely probably get used more now than they did before. People find the value in them more now than they did. 
And so like, I got a COVID test here at my school and my school's on the same health system as like most of my other doctors. And it was so funny because it's just like, um, my doctor, since he obviously has, ac my general practice doctor, since he has access to, you know, the system, he gets updated whenever I have like anything done. Uh, <laughs> my COVID test result came back negative and he like sent a message and he was just like, congratulations on your negative test. And I was like, well, that's so weird, but it's like kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, actually I want to mention something about that too. So in Florida, I'm in Florida and on Monday we like opened the vaccination for like people older than 16. And now like everyone's pretty much eligible to, to get the vaccine here. And my school has been sending us like email, sorry, emails through like our emails, but also through my chart, I've been getting so many like notifications say that now I can get my vaccination. Yeah, that's actually really good. That's actually really funny because uh, we we allow we allow uh, people uh, sixteen hundred to get them here now too. So it's just like uh, I didn't get anything from my my chart but I did uh, get an email from like, there were a couple of groups and like the Department of Health here, they sent out stuff. Um, but yeah, no, my chart I'm pretty sure would have, actually, you know what? Maybe my chart did, I'm not logged into my, my chart on my phone right now. So it probably, they probably did send something for all I know. All right, so yeah, um, hey, if y'all have any telehealth stories you should probably share them with us on social media uh i don't know what lila will do with those stories but i'm sure they'll be interesting to read <laughs> so anyways uh oh my <laughs> we hope you learned a little bit of something about the current legislation that's in progress in the health world we'll of course keep you updated on anything else that's super big and will definitely affect you uh our members um and yeah we hope you enjoyed this episode of learn to retire safe and next week we'll be back with another episode oh and also before i forget we just did our telehealth webinar as well so if you weren't able to attend that it will be up on our site uh eventually um <laughs> I don't have a time or a date, but it will be up there. So make sure you check back regularly. But all right. Thanks for listening as always. And take care. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye. Bye.